two foundations of Pentecost dedicated to the repairing, restoring, preserving, and perpetrating the foundations of Pentecost. It is our prayer that as you listen, you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And now, today's study from the scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're thankful for the privilege to come before you. I pray that you would be with us in this time together. God, I pray that we would hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have been in a series on the book of Malachi entitled uh, Messages from Malachi. The uh, name Malachi actually means my messenger. And so that is why that we have uh, titled the series Messages in, uh, from Malachi. If you turn this morning with us to Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, and we are going to begin reading in verse 1. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, I behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide in the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he approacheth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old, and as in the former years. And I will come near to you in judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God called the nation of Israel to be a channel for bringing the Messiah into the world. And anything that corrupted that stream would work against His great plan of salvation. And so God had commanded the Jews to be a separated people, not because they were any better than any other people, uh, uh, or any other nation, but because he had a special task for them to perform. And anything that broke down that wall of separation would play into the hands of the evil one, or of the devil who did all he could to keep the Messiah from being born. And uh, that is part of the issue that we were dealing with last week when he dealt with the issue of marriage and divorce at that time and how that they were marrying strange women and, and foreign women and why he told them to leave the foreign women and go back to uh, their original wives. And, and I just want to, uh, as a matter of clarification and, and stuff, we'll get into talking about uh, uh, divorce last week, and, and that was uh, the primary topic. And the focus here is that God hates divorce. And a lot of times what we do, and what we have spent a lot of time on in the church, is trying to figure out how to straighten out the mess that is caused by divorce, 
once divorce happens? Do, is it right for you to leave your companion and, uh, when, when you've remarried and go back to your first wife? Or do you, what do you do? And how do you straighten out the mess? And we have spent so much time trying to straighten out the mess because we have sinned that we have failed to teach the fact that the Bible says don't do it. And we need to get back to stay away from divorce. And quit spending so much time trying to straighten out. Sometimes we make a mess that cannot be straightened out. Just like if a, a person goes out and gets drunk, and uh, they walk out into traffic and receive an injury that requires their leg to be amputated, and then they come to the Lord in repentance and the Lord forgives them, and, and, and they become a Christian, and yet their leg is still amputated. And there are sometimes we get our situation so messed up through divorce that there's some things that will never be straightened out like they need to be because we have failed to obey God's command. And there are some scars that we are going to bear the rest of our life when we disobey the Word of God. And we are spending a lot of time in the church trying to cover up the scar, trying to get rid of the scar, trying to figure out how to hide the scar, how to put makeup on the scar so that nobody will see it, nobody will know, rather than preventing at getting the scar in the first place. And sometimes we need to take the old adage into... To, uh, to thought that says an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We need to, to uh, teach the things of God. And so, so, as he is, Malachi is dealing with this in chapter 2, and he begins in chapter 3 then, to talk about part of the reason for this, and we've talked, as I, I said in the opening, he was, he was preparing them to bring the Messiah to the world. And he starts out in verse 1, he says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts." The title of our lesson today from, from, earlier, from what we read earlier in the Scripture is Refined in the Fire, Washed with Soap. And the first thing we start out with is He gives them a promise. It is interesting that in this promise He gives, there is a play on words because He says, he says Behold, I will send my messenger. It is interesting that he talks about sending his messenger because that Malachi, the very word Malachi, means my messenger. And so there is a little bit of a play here on, on Malachi and who Malachi was, uh, uh, a play on words in talking about his messenger. But he goes on to say that he will send his messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. It's not going to be long until you move into the New Testament and you begin to read about a man named John the Baptist who was the messenger that was sent before Christ to prepare the way of the Lord. And the Bible talks about John the Baptist coming and preparing the people's hearts to receive Jesus Christ. 
He told them He was not the Christ, but He was was sent to prepare the way for Christ. And so John the Baptist began to... to, uh, the, The book of Isaiah describes him as making the path straight. Uh, in, in ancient times, there would be those that would go before a king uh, would come into a, a city or into a place and they would clear all the debris from the road. They would uh, clear any uh, rocks from the road that had, had fallen onto the road. They would, they would smooth out the road. They would, they would make the road uh, uh, a smooth road. They would prepare the path for the king. And that was the purpose in John the Baptist coming and preaching repentance and preaching that they needed to turn from their wickedness and from their sin and turn their hearts to God. And he was preparing the way for Jesus Christ. But as he goes on in verse 1, he first references John the Baptist by saying, Behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. But then look at the second part of that verse. He says, And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to the temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, and behold, he shall come. And he says, the Messiah is coming. And Malachi begins to proclaim the promise of the coming of Jesus Christ. And he says that his Messiah is coming to be in the temple. The dramatic wording that we find here he says, the Lord will come, uh, shall co- suddenly come. And the wording that is used here makes it as though it is going to be fulfilled uh, in, in a moment's time, that it, that it is sudden in its coming. But in, in truth, it was going to be nearly 400 years. Maybe over 400 years. But about 400 years before Jesus Christ would appear on the scene and would go unto the temple. But Peter reminds us in 2 Peter chapter uh, 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so just as the Jews were looking for the coming of the Messiah in Malachi's day, and Malachi said it was going to happen suddenly, they thought that at any moment Jesus Christ would appear on the scene or or their Messiah would appear on the scene. At that time they didn't know it would be Jesus, but uh, they were looking for their Messiah to appear on the scene. And, and expecting Him. And yet there was a delay even though the promise was of suddenness. Even so, today we are looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are looking for the rapture of the church. We believe that it could happen at any time. And we are looking forward to it. And we realize that we are on the verge of the rapture of the church. But Peter says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Time does not mean anything to God. And so just because there is a delay does not take away from the surety of the fact that He is coming soon. Because soon to God is not what soon is to us. 
but the Lord is coming soon. And so he left them with a promise. But in this promise, he began to talk to them about the necessity of purification. Beginning in verse 2, he says, But who may abide in the day of his coming? And who will stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. And he shall set as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years." He begins, not only has He given a promise of His coming, but He begins to tell them, there is judgment that is coming. There is judgment that is coming. There is a time that the Lord is going to appear. And we look forward to the coming of the Lord often, and we sometimes rejoice about the coming of the Lord. And it is important that we look forward to the coming of the Lord. It is important. But the Jews were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, but they were not living lives that were worthy of the coming of the Messiah. Because we find when Jesus does appear twice in His ministry, Jesus has to go in and cleanse the temple because they are buying and selling and trading and the things that are going on in the temple in the place that is set aside for the worship of God is not right. And Jesus goes in and begins to overturn the tables of the money changers. And while we are looking forward to the coming of the Lord and to the return of the Lord, if Jesus should appear, and when He does appear, what is His vision? And what is He going to see within the church? Is He going to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or is He going to appear and look at a church that is weak, a church that is sinning, a church that is doing things that is against His Word? And is He going to say, the church must be purified. Amos warned. In Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness, not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear and met him or went into his house and leaned his hand on the wall and the serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark, and no brightness in it? Did you know sometimes we can sing, we'll soon be done with troubles and trials in that home on the other side, and we can sing about heaven, and we can look forward to heaven in the time that we have no... But if we are not living purified, holy lives in the light of God's Word, it will not be a time of rejoicing. We sing when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. But our works, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, our works will be tried by fire. And while the Bible tells us that God will wipe away all tears... I think there's going to be some because God doesn't, the, the Bible doesn't say that's not the first thing that happens when we get to heaven. And I think when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be some of us that are sorry that we have not done more in this life for the cause of Jesus Christ than what we have done.
They saw only the promises of blessing and not the warnings of judgment. They rejoiced in the promises of their coming king and his glorious kingdom, but they overlooked the prophecies that described worldwide terror when the wrath of God is poured out on sinners. These Israelites were not unlike some Christians today who talk about the coming of the Lord as though they see Him and will be more like beholding a visiting celebrity or basking in his or her glory. Standing at the judgment seat of Christ will be an awesome experience, even though we know we have a place reserved in heaven. When we see that the coming of the Lord, and when we understand that the coming of the Lord brings judgment not only to a church that is cold and indifferent and that it is necessary, but the lost and the dying world is going to a literal burning hell. And when we understand that, it will create a desire for us to win all those that we can. And it's good for us to think about heaven. It's good for us to look forward to the returning of the Lord. But we must realize that God is coming back to judge this world. And anyone who does not repent is going to be judged by God. And that judgment is going to be severe. And we have been placed here with a purpose. Just as Israel was given a purpose to keep a, a pure seed, a pure line, a pure ancestry for the coming of the Messiah. The church has been commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It is up to us to realize that God is coming back in judgment and He is going to judge this world and we must let our acquaintances know that they are going to stand before an awesome God and answer for whether or not they have received Jesus Christ into their life and accepted Him to be their Lord. There is the promise of judgment, but there is a preface to, to, to judgment. Because the judgment was going to begin here with the nation of Israel. And He was, he was telling them, and... and, and uh, 1 Peter tells us in chapter 4, he says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin with us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the, the ungodly and the sinner appear? Before the white throne judgment, before the world stands before God Almighty to answer for their rejection of Jesus Christ. There is going to be the judgment seat of Christ in which you and I, those in the church, the Christians, are going to stand before God and answer for how we have lived our life. A lot of times we want to be critical of our government and rightly so a lot of times. We want to be critical of our nation in the direction that it's headed and how that our nation is slipped into apostasy and gone away from God. But the Bible says that judgment must first begin at the house of God. A lot of times the reason the world is so far away from God is because the church has gotten so far away from God. And we must get back to the biblical principle. 
So God brings the fire of His judgment. There is not coming a time when our nation is going to be judged. But when we look at the reprobate mindset of the world today, we realize that the world and our nation is already under judgment of God. It is not a coming judgment. It is a judgment that is now happening. One of the things that the Bible teaches us that happens in judgment is that men are given over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are unseemingly. And we live in an age when men have been given over to a reprobate reprobate mind which is part of the judgment of God. And when we go through things in this life, and we go through fire, and we go through trouble, and we go through tribulations, and it seems like the heat has been turned on in the church, it is because that God is trying to refine us as silver and gold and burn out the impurities. When we look back over the course of history of the church, and we see times of persecution that came upon the church, we see that the persecution served to purify the church. Only those that were really pure and true Christians admitted to being a Christian. No longer were the hypocrites in the church. You either stood for Jesus Christ and sometimes at the cost of your life or you got out of the church and you didn't have anything to do with it. The church was purified by fire and we are racing toward that time in our nation where we are going to see the church go through the fire. And we are going to see things transpire to see. Do we really believe what we believe? Do we really believe what we say we believe? Are we really part of a biblically based church? Or are we just clinging around for the blessings? And so we are going to be purged in the fire. I believe God is about to... We, we all face times of purging in our individual lives. But I believe we're going to begin to see and have already begun to see God purify the church and try to, to bring... I, I, I honestly think part of, part of even, even some of the closings in COVID have, have caused us to see... Because there's still some people use that for an excuse not to be in church. They'll go everywhere else, but there is a purging of judgment. Then he tells us there is punishment. Judgment brings punishment. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 5 says, I will come near unto you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the false swearers, against those that oppress the hireling, in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, and turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. First of all, he tells us that the judgment of God is sure. It will take place. Last week we read the Scripture where it said, just because that 
that the wrath of God is not poured out on the wicked immediately doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. A lot of times we have a tendency to think, oh, well, God's overlooking our sin because He hasn't brought judgment yet. But it is sure. It will happen. You can rest assured that God is going to punish the wicked. The second thing we find is that the judgment of God is swift. It may be prolonged. It may not happen immediately. But when it begins to happen, it's going to happen quickly. And then, he specifies some of the things that God will judge. Oh, this, you know, we know this, right? After all, the Bible says sorcerers, those who are involved in witchcraft. And a lot of times, uh, a lot of times within uh, uh, the idea of sorcery, you find drug abuse. Uh, you know, yeah, God's going to judge those kind of people. Those, you know, those people that worship the devil and, 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 and those people that belong to the Wiccan uh, church or whatever you want to call it. It's, they call it a church. It's not a church. But, uh, uh, you know, yeah, God's going to judge those kind of people. Well, we, yeah, well, we understand that. And then he says, not only is he going to judge, he's going to judge the adulterers. Well, yeah, God's going to judge the adulterers. That's wrong. We know that's wrong. And that's sinful. And God's going to... And then he says, he says, those false swearers. In other words, God's going to judge liars. The Bible says that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. You know what? It is dangerous for us to tell lies. Because God is going to judge those who lie. And we don't have to lie simply by telling a big whopping tale. We have our own ways of lying. I remember hearing the late Adrian Rogers tell a story about how he was driving home one night and had a headlight out and said he got pulled over. The officer walked up to his car and said, did you know you have a headlight out? He said, I have a headlight out? He said, what I said was true. I had a headlight out. But I left the impression by saying it in the tone I did that I didn't know I had a headlight out. And he said, God smote him when the officer pulled away that he had lied. We have a lot of ways that we tell things that are not true. And God is going to judge the liar. And then he says, those who withhold wages. The employee that doesn't pay, or the employer that doesn't pay as employee. We can go along with that. 
But then, when we don't pay for the goods that we got from the employer, and he can't pay the employee because we're really the one at fault. And so he says, and then he goes on to say, the oppressors of the widows and of the orphans. And then, and then he says, the inhospitable. Or he says, he that turns aside the stranger. You know, the list was pretty good when he started out with the sorcerers and adulterers. But the farther down the list he got, wait a minute, are these things really that bad? He puts them in the same classification with the adulterers and the sorcerers. But while there is punishment, Malachi isn't closing on a... Of course, he's not closing here, but the entire book of Malachi, while he's dealing with these kind of things, he is not totally leaving them with a hopeless feeling. But he says, there is pardon for sin. First of all, he tells us in verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. He tells us God is unchangeable. The declaration of God that God does not change was both ominous and encouraging because He would certainly punish the wicked just as He had sent the flood in Noah's day to punish the wicked of His day. He would punish the wicked, but He also was going to be a God to Israel. And just as God dealt with the nation of Israel, He will deal with the church today and with people today. There is forgiveness when we turn to Him with our whole heart. Just like a sailor will look to the sun to set his compass because the sun does not move. So we must look to Jesus Christ, the unchanging God, to control our lives and to set our lives. If we try to set our our compass of our lives by the fads of this world, they're constantly changing. If we try to set our, our compass by the fads of the church, they are constantly changing. If we try to set our compass by people in the church, sometimes they change. But if we will set our eyes on Jesus Christ, He does not change. And we can set our life and our morals and, and the way that we live by Jesus Christ, knowing that He never changes. Then we find, he says, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. He is a merciful God. He says, you've done wrong, but you have not been consumed because the mercies of God are new every morning. The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all 
should come to repentance. And that is why that judgment is delayed. It is not simply that God is slow in passing judgment upon sin. It is not because because God uh, just feels bad about uh, judging and so He's hesitant to judge us. It is not because, but it is because He is not willing that any should perish. And when we do wrong, God gives us a space, not because He think, doesn't think it's wrong, not because God is winking at sin, but because God is giving us room to repent and to come back to Him. And when we come to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The question was being asked, Where is God's justice for His people? When Jesus Christ came 400 years after Malachi, He died on the cross. And Jesus, through His death, completely satisfied the justice of God. He paid the penalty for the sins of the world and vindicated the holiness of God. Nobody can ever truthfully say God is not just. The cross of Christ is proof that the same God who ordained the law of sin and death also took His own medicine and willingly died for sinners. Because of Calvary, God is both just and the justifier of all who trust in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God, help us to receive your word this morning realizing that in the pages of Your Word we find Your desire for our lives. Your plan. So God, I pray this morning that we would see Your holiness. We would see Your righteousness. We would see Your purity. And realize that you are coming to judge this world of sin. And that we would be challenged, first of all, to pattern our life after Jesus Christ, to accept the blood of Jesus Christ imputed to us. Lord, the blood of Jesus Christ that imputes His righteousness to us that we might strive to live holy before You and pleasing in Your sight. And then, Lord, that we might have a desire to share with a lost and dying world that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That He came 
to seek and to save that which was lost. It's in Jesus' name we pray. This has been Foundations of Pentecost. We trust that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more, please visit us at foundationsofpentecost.com.